So it's 2019. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start off at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Melissa Etheridge, Cardi B, Brandy, J.R. Smith, and more are already obsessed. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet, with no dangling wires or stems. And of course, they don't just look great, they sound great too. And they're perfect for listening to all your favorite iHeartRadio podcasts on the go. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. So go to buyraycon.com slash iHeart to get 20% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash iHeart for 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash iHeart. My next guest received his undergraduate degree from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a journalist, writer, and Emmy-winning TV producer. He has worked for CNN and Good Morning America. He's the author of Black Fortunes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Samari Wills. Hey, Rashad, I appreciate the uh, kind introduction. <laughs> I'm so happy happy to be on your show. It's an honor. Hey, man, I hope I hope I'm the. I, I know your show, your book, been getting out there, been getting great reviews, and you, you, you broadcasting live here in Atlanta. Of course, you'll be heard on iHeartRadio podcast and. Uh, Sears XM 141 and 142 HBCU campus because I really I really want to make sure the HBC, HBCU campuses get this message because it really is a it's something about because it's about entrepreneurship and that's that millennial generation is talking about that's what they want to be and to hear about uh, people who can over, talk about overcoming the odds overcoming a, a slavery overcoming racism overcoming Jim Crow laws how did you when you started Getting into this, let's give everybody your backstory on what got you started and saying this is a book I should be engaged with. So, you know, not to be too long-winded, but I started out Tell your story. Tell your story. Now, tell your story. (laughs) I started out in journalism in New York at uh, the New York Carib News, which is like the um, newspaper for for the Caribbean community in New York. Mm -hmm. And I was in Jamaica for for a little while doing some reporting. And I happened to visit this place called uh, Devon House, which... You know, it's a, this mansion, this incredible mansion that has a restaurant and an ice cream mm-hmm. shop at it. And, you know, everybody's like, you got to go. The ice cream is really good. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I went there and, you know, it's also the house of the first black millionaire uh, in Jamaica that they've kind of repurposed as an ice cream shop and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just went on the tour of the mansion. They told me this guy's story. You know, he was a carpenter on a ship, you know, in the 1840s, shipwrecked. He, uh, you know, this is right off the coast of Venezuela. He swam to the coast and found a gold mine uh, and became a millionaire. So after, you know, you know, finding out about him and just his incredible story and all the things he did with his wealth, I actually thought about writing a book about him. Right. You know, you know, life, life, life goes on. I had to come back to the States. Unfortunately, I couldn't stay in Jamaica forever. So um, what I what I did is I, I, I kind of adapted that idea and I started looking at uh, African-American millionaires here. And I really wanted to tell uh, the stories of the very first because most folks don't even know, you know, who they are. Well, I definitely, all the one I knew was Madam C.J. Walker that you that you cover in this book because, you know, Black History Month, they always bring up, you know, she started basically hair care products and she made her wealth 
uh, through that. And so when you when you when you talk about her, I love the fact that you said she was the only one that really, you know, flaunted her wealth. You know, she bought the car, she bought the ring, she bought the house, and she wore the clothes. You know, so why do you think that she chose that path of saying, "Hey, I'm making this money, and I'm going to live the lifestyle of what I, uh, what I'm making." Um, you know, I think that was always her claim to fame, you know, that, you know, she kind of lived, you know, a really ostentatious lifestyle. She wasn't the first, you know, person, you know, she wasn't really the black hair pioneer. A lot of folks think she, she was. There's another uh, woman named Annie Malone, uh, mm-hmm. who also was a black millionaire, who she worked for. And, right, um, you, know, right, right. You, you know, you know, they kind of had a competition thing. It's very controversial, um, you know, because her products were basically the same as Annie Malone's. Uh, when she went out on her own. Um, but, you know, she, you know, just was, you know, coming out of the Jim Crow era, you know, in the early 1900s, and, you know, black folks were starting to, uh, you know, feel like maybe it was okay to show off some of what we had, and she just kind of took it to the next level. She spent a lot of money, uh, you know, she shopped on Fifth Avenue, um, you know, so everybody knew about her wealth as opposed to the folks who came before her who had to worry about lynching things and you know had to worry about all sorts of you know bad things happening to them so they they were a little bit more in the cut yeah. let me let me just set the stage here because i want people to understand exactly what we talk about because we read, we read about today's black millionaires oprah winfrey michael jordan tyler perry kevin hart and many more in the sports and entertainment industry but your book tells the story about this country's first black millionaires some of them born in the first half of the 19th century decades before the emancipation proclamation I think that that's important that people understand that these people were out there being um, industrious in an era where, you know, you were supposed to stay in your place. Lynching was just a norm. Uh, And I want to talk about you. You talked about six people in the book. Well, you talked about more, but six people really were identified as Mary Ellen Pleasant, uh, Robert Reed Church, Hannah Elias uh, and Annie Turnbull Turnbull Malone. Then we had O.W. Gurley. And we had uh, Madam C.J. Walker. Uh, I want to talk about each one of them a little bit. I'm not, I don't want to give away the book, but I thought it was important that you put your spin on why each one was significant and why you chose to follow their story. And let's start with Mary Ellen Pleasant, you know, who contributed a lot, uh, a lot of money and almost went broke when she tried to uh, further the cause of abolitionist John Brown. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, she actually did end up going broke. I mean, she had an incredible story. story. Mm-hmm. So she was born free in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in Philadelphia. She grew up in Massachusetts right. on the island of Nantucket, which was like all the big whaling boom was going on, all the Moby Dick sort of stuff with Ahab and mm-hmm. trying to catch whales and become rich that way. She grew up in that. And so Nantucket was a boom town uh, because whaling was really, really, really profitable. Um, when she reached womanhood, she ended up going to San Francisco during the gold rush, um, you know, because folks were making a lot of money out there. And, you know, she kind of, you know, miraculously, she kind of knew what to do when she got there because she had grown up in a boom town. Like Nantucket, which is right, Nantucket. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it was just booming. So, you know, well oil, you know, which was like the, you know, petroleum was like the gasoline of of Mm -hmm. that era, Mm -hmm. uh, was was like the second or third most profitable business in in America at the time. So, you know, she knew what it was like to be in a booming area and, you know, how to make money. And so what she did is she went about providing services to the miners. She didn't try to, of course, go mine gold herself. She uh, opened, uh, you know, uh, boarding houses. She became a money lender. 
Uh, she <laughs> traded in silver. She just had her thing, her hands in everything in California and San Francisco. But she, but she stayed behind uh, the scene, problem. though. She stayed behind the yeah, scene. She, she stayed behind the scenes. You know, she 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 was active, but you know, she always you know worked with men. You know, a lot of times worked with you know Caucasians. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of folks did not know that she was necessarily the one, you know, sort of uh, with the money uh, and, you know, with the insights. So she made a lot of money and, you know, she ended up in 1858, you know, having a meeting with John Brown, uh, you know, the revolutionary started to try to, try mm -hmm. to start a slave revolt in America. And she gave him $45,000, um, you know, so he, he started his slave revolt at Harper's Ferry, mm -hmm. which failed, of course. Right. And uh, after that happened, you know, folks started trying to track down everybody who was associated um, with it, mm -hmm. who, who, who was associated with her. So she went into, uh, you know, she went into hiding, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she basically, you know, broke or didn't have access to any of her money at that point. And she, but she made a comeback, though. <laughs> yeah, she made a comeback. She made we're gonna, a comeback. We're, we're going to come back a little bit on the next break, and we're going to talk about the other five people that you featured in this book. Uh, an amazing book. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you got to buy this book because the fact that you say, hey, I'm against the odds, they really were against the odds. We'll be back with more with Shamari Wills and this amazing book from HarperCollins. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald. I'm back with Money Making Conversations. On the phone, I have Shamari Wills. He is the author of Black Fortune. Tells the story of six uh, six millionaires, black millionaires, including landowner Robert Reed Church. Uh, here's an interesting fact I got from the book. Between the years of 1830 and 1827, as the last generation of blacks born into slavery was reaching maturity, a small group of industrious, tenacious, and daring men and women broke new ground to attain the highest level of financial success. But here's something about slavery. The lifespan for an enslaved African-American was between 22 and 36 years. That's, you know, that, that's an incredible stat that knowing that, you know, if you hit 40, you, you were lucky to hit 40 years of age. So when you were, when you was building this information about this store, uh, I'm sure there was some, some points in it that made you uh, very emotional. Yeah, you know, I mean, that that was one of them, you know, you know, just realizing how short, you know, a lot of the of these folks lives, you know, were and, you know, and how hard the life of being, um, you know, enslaved was and how hard, you know, uh, you know, folks fought, you know, to end slavery, you know, so it was just it was it, it was, you know, emotional and gripping at, you know, many different points. Yeah, that that that, that, that when I read that, I went, wow. That's really, really, really amazing. Well, we, we, we feature several in several situations in this book, uh, several, uh, I should say, uh, millionaires in the book. And Robert Reed Church, I, I, he's responsible, I would like to say, for Bill Street in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, let's talk, talk, talk about his story and why it was important to have him included in this book. You know, I think Robert Reed Church, in my opinion, you know, he's up there with one of the, the, with the most impressive Americans to ever live. Yes. So, you know, he, he was born uh, into slavery, you mm -hmm. know, to a uh, to a white man, to a steamship owner mm -hmm. and a, his, his, his black concubine. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically he was raised on his father's steamship as a slave, you know, sort of working in the kitchens and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, these steamships, they did two things. They were luxury transportation mm -hmm. uh, up and down the Mississippi. But the main source of revenue was that they shipped cotton. Mm -hmm. So he was enslaved on mm -hmm. his ship shipping cotton. Uh, you know, down the Mississippi to the port of New Orleans to mm -hmm. get shipped all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually he escaped 
Um, he, you know, <laughs> you know, he jumps off, jumps the off ship that ship, and, right? Jumped off the boat yeah, and he, mm-hmm. in the Mississippi outside of Memphis. And mm-hmm. he, you know, swims to freedom, mm-hmm. you know, watches up on the shore of Memphis and sort of builds a life for himself. Uh, and, you know, nothing was ever easy. You know, he was always involved in real estate yeah. and, you know, owning bars and parlors and different things of that nature. Um, and everything he had, you know, at some point someone tried to take it from him. He was, you know, had two different assassination attempts. He was shot in the um, head twice. <laughs> shot in the head twice. You know, uh, you know, just had to deal with, you know, you know, groups of, you know, uh, you, you know, white, white race moms. A good friend of his was lynched at some point. So he kept the pistol on his side at all times and mm-hmm. he just never gave up uh, and became this big, uh, big time real estate owner in Memphis and used his money and his power to help black politicians along the way. Um, you know, and at the end of his life, he was even friends with Roosevelt. He's friends with the president. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he just had an amazing story. He's, he's one of my favorite historical figures. Well, let's, let's, let's be honest about it. Uh, basically, his wealth saved Memphis because he was one of the first people who bought a bond. Which was, was oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely not just black Memphis, Memphis Mem- in general. So yeah. <laughs> Memphis had a bad yellow fever outbreak um, in the 1870s, which almost destroyed the city. Um, you know, you, you know, it's, you, you know, I think something like a fifth of the population died and people were just leaving the city like crazy. Uh, and Memphis was completely bankrupt. Um, so as they tried to rebuild the city, they needed people to loan them money. Um, so they issued bonds and the first person to buy a bond was Robert Reed Church, a black man, right. um, in this Southern city. And you know, that, you know, kind of when he stepped out, you know, other businessmen started buying bonds as well. So he had a big part in saving Memphis and bringing it back. Let's talk about a couple of questions I want to ask you. In what way is the book you wrote different from the book you set out to write? Well, I think the biggest way is I kind of, you know, wanted to kind of try to, as best I could, you know, put down on paper who the first black millionaires actually were. And, you know, they were all over the place. Bob Church was in Memphis, Mary Ellen Pleasant in California, mm-hmm. O.W. Gurley in Oklahoma, Hannah Elias in New York, mm-hmm. um, you know, Annie Malone in, you know, uh, the Midwest. But you, so I, I didn't expect the stories to intersect, but they actually did a lot because the black business community I know. was tight-knit. And, you know, Booker T. Washington actually had a uh, organization the National Negro Business League, and they would have conventions every year, and a lot of them met there. Mm-hmm. A lot of them also knew Frederick Douglass when he was alive, and Booker T. Washington, of course, and W.E.B. Du Bois. So just how much their stories intersected, even though they were in different parts of the country, uh, you know, was sort of amazing to me. Well, it's really interesting. This is kind of like the hidden figures for entrepreneurship, because we don't know about these people and what they accomplished, and the fact that they, they accomplished under such great odds, great odds and, uh, you know, adversity. Why don't we know more about these, these uh, black millionaires? Well, I mean, you know, I asked myself that question when I was writing this. You know, I think part of it is that people think Madam T.J. Walker is the first black millionaire, and that was kind <laughs> of a black history non-fact. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's been pushed, out, been pushed out a lot, and I even heard it growing up. Um, so we I believe me, believe there. me, you're not the only one, Mr. Wills. I was right there <laughs> with you. When I read your book, I went, okay, now I'm educated properly. Right. You know, and she never really had a million dollars. I mean, she was, she became wealthy towards 18, 18, 18, 19, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but there were folks that had, you know, a millionaire status, 
you know, in the, you know, in the 1850s and 1860s, you know, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years, half a century before that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I, I think it's part of the CJ Walker myth is a big part of it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just happy to try to try to get the information out there, you know, for folks to know that there is a history of us having wealth, uh, a history of us being successful uh, in, in business um, that dates back, you know, a really, really long time, longer than most of us think. First of all, I want to make sure we people understand this about what, our conversation. There's nothing negative about what we're saying about uh, Madam C.J. Walker. I want to make sure people understand that. It's just the information that's been given to us over the years. We have not been given the full story. And that's what your book delivers. Your book is delivering the full story. If you're, if you're a person who wants to understand the, um, the, the, the pitfalls of entrepreneurship, uh, overcoming the odds, you know, church is a great story because when there, was a, when there was a disaster in the city of Memphis, he was right there to take advantage of it. The, 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 that's what made him smart. That's what made these individuals. They were, they were always visionaries. They were all forward-thinking people. They were all people who saw an opportunity, and they jumped on it. They didn't they, and capitalized on it. And I think that is the story that, that I feel that if you're an entrepreneur, and this book is about entrepreneurship, and I feel people should read it if you're thinking about if you're in, if you're a small business owner or, or a Fortune 500 company. I, I feel you should read this book because of the fact that it allows you to understand how you can win against all odds. That's the biggest takeaway I, I got from your book, Wills. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, and I think people always ask me, like, what is, you know, this book takes place so long in the past, you know, how does it apply to business people now? And I think the trait that these folks had is that they, they were visionaries, with, like you said, and they weren't necessarily looking to go into traditional businesses or, you know, businesses that black people had gone into before, you know, like restaurant owning or grocery stores or catering, which were the biggest businesses for black people at the time. Um, they were looking at high growth, you know, high risk, high reward industries, you know, the gold rush, you know, uh, becoming a real estate owner in a rebuilding, you know, Southern city, uh, building a town. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the characters in mind did Annie Malone. She built the black hair business when there was no such thing. Mm-hmm. And so they were not looking at, you know, what's the traditional business for people to go into. They were looking at for big opportunities. They were trying to, they were really on the cutting edge for their time. And, you know, I think that's something that applies today with tech and artificial intelligence and, mm-hmm. you know, biotechnology. Uh, you, you know, it would be great to see more black folks trying to be on, you know, the cutting edge, you know, taking inspiration, you know, from these folks because we're really underrepresented in a lot of those areas. Well, I had this same conversation with Lanier Richardson. He's the, uh, over at the Rutgers School of Business. He was saying the same thing, you know, the drones, um, Auto, you know, automatic cars, uh, just not going to the traditional restaurant, car wash, the, the services that we tend to fall into on a regular basis. There are so many, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. Uh, there's so many levels of uh, the STEM programs that we need to be rushing into because of the fact that technology is not going anywhere. But I want to just let you know that uh, your book, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires, is an amazing book. It is a must-read book. I've enjoyed it. It also has pictures. The thing I loved about the book is just how you allowed the stories to be told. You just didn't do a chapter completely about the story. You showed how they kind of like, they kind of crossed paths, and I thought that was really impressive, Mr. Wills. 
I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. If you want to buy this book, go to Amazon. Just just type in Black Fortunes. It'll pop right up. It should give you a short bio about the book and uh, let you understand you're about to read something very significant. You keep up the great work, my friend. I hope we run path, run, cross paths in the future. Me too. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Listening makes us smarter, more connected people. It makes us better partners, parents, and leaders. And there's no better place to start listening than Audible. Audible is where so many inspiring voices and compelling stories open listeners up to new experiences and ways of thinking. Audible members now get more than ever before. Members choose three titles every month, one audiobook plus two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Members also have unlimited access to more than 100 audio-guided fitness and meditation programs. Audible delivers bestsellers, business, self-improvement, memoirs, and more, all professionally narrated by actors, authors, and motivational superstars like Rachel Hollis, David Goggins, and Mel Robbins. Audible members can also get free access to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post delivered daily to the Audible app. With the convenient app, members can access Audible anytime, at the gym, while commuting, or on the go, and on any device. We'll always pick right back up where you left off. Audible also offers free and easy audiobook exchanges, credits you can roll over for a year, and a library you keep forever even if you cancel. Explore all the ways listening on Audible can help improve mind, body, and soul with entertainment, information, and inspiration. You can get titles from your favorite iHeart talent such as Chelsea Handler, Danny Shapiro, Charlemagne the God, and Bobby Bones on Audible. Start listening now with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash iHeart or text iHeart to 500-500.